morning as a church family, we are going to continue our journey through the book of Psalms. So would you take your Bible or your smartphone or your tablet and turn with me this morning to Psalm chapter 36. And in just a moment, I'm going to begin reading in verse 1. I did something this week that I've never done before. I grabbed my laptop and sat down and I went to google.com. And in the search bar, I typed in today's top headlines. And I pushed enter. And as you can imagine, a lot of content filled my computer screen. And here's what I recognized very, very quickly. For every one positive headline, there were about 4,092 negative headlines. They were all on my computer screen. And quite honestly, as I began just to read down these news headlines from different news channels, media outlets, and blogs, there's a lot of the stuff I read that quite honestly broke my heart. It was just hard stuff to try to process that's going on around the world. Here's a few of the headlines that I read this week as I looked at the latest headlines in the news. On May the 21st, the Christian Post had this headline. Christian pastor is severely beaten in Iran during a transition to a hospital. On June the 4th, CNN reported, Severe storms bring tornadoes and massive hail to parts of the Midwest. On June the 6th, USA Today reported, One dead, three hurt, in shooting at Seattle Pacific University. June the 6th, the New York Times reported, immigration system overwhelmed by women and children. And on June the 6th, Fox News reported, Detroit woman doused with gasoline and set ablaze during argument with her boyfriend. And there's some headlines that are out there this past week that are heavy. And this doesn't even include all the broken relationships, the wasted resources, or the mismanaged influence that we see all over our globe every single week. I'm going to go out on a limb this morning and say that there's probably nobody in the room who would hear those headlines and think, that our world is headed in the right direction. Nobody would say that. We read those headlines and think, can it get any worse? And here's what else we think. We assume that we are the only generation who's ever been discouraged by the brokenness and direction of our society. But as we continue our journey through the book of Psalms this morning, we're going to learn that 3,000 years ago, people felt the exact same way about the corruption and the darkness in society. Look with me in Psalm chapter 36. I'm going to read for us the first four verses as we begin this morning. If you don't have a Bible, we're going to put these up on the screen. We'd love for you to read along with us. Verse 1 says, transgression speaks to the ungodly within his heart. 
There is no fear of God before his eyes, for it flatters him in his own eyes concerning the discovery of his iniquity and the hatred of it. The words of his mouth are wickedness and deceit. He has ceased to be wise and to do good. He plans wickedness upon his bed. He sets himself on the path that is not good. He does not despise evil. Just as we read the headlines that I referenced a moment ago and our heart kind of sinks, I kind of feel the same way after reading the first four verses of Psalm chapter 36. Listen to these descriptions that David lists here. He says, people don't fear God and they're proud of it. He says, all that comes out of them is wicked and deceitful. Nothing they do is wise or good, and they lay in bed at night and plan evil. That's pretty heavy. But then something happens in this passage that is powerful. David goes to verse 5, and his focus and tone completely change. In verse 5. Let's read verses 5 through 9 this morning. He says, Your loving kindness, O Lord, extends to the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches to the skies. Your righteousness is like the mountains of God. Your judgments are like a great deep. How precious, O Lord, you preserve man and beast. How precious is your loving kindness, O God. And the children of men take refuge in the shadow of your wings. They drink their fill of the abundance of your house. And you give them to drink of the river of your delights. For with you is the fountain of life. In your light we see light. David starts this chapter with a focus on the condition of the world. But in verse 5, he transitions his focus off of the conditions of the world and onto the character of God. So here's what we learn from David right out of the gate. This is so powerful. What shaped David was not where the world was. What shaped David was who God is. I'm going to read that again. What shaped or influenced David was not where the world was. What shaped and influenced David was who God is. You see, regardless of what's going on around us, we can live with absolute assurance about who God is in us. Regardless of the storms and the stuff and the frustration that we're living in, regardless of everything around us, we can live with assurance of the character of God that is in us. 
Have you ever met someone who's just plain negative? Like negative, negative, negative all the time. The type of person that is pessimistic, the glass is half empty, extracts the life out of the room kind of person. Have you ever met that person? And if you're sitting there this morning and you're thinking, you know, I really don't know anybody like that. (laughs) You may want to look in the mirror (laughs) after the service. I think we all drift there sometimes. It's natural for us. We have this tendency in our nature to be negative, to focus on what's wrong versus focusing on what's good. But I want to challenge you today. I want to challenge you if you're the negative person or if you just recognize today your tendency is to drift towards the things that are not good at all. Here's my challenge. I want to challenge you to take your focus off the condition of the world and to set your focus on the character of God. Listen, God knows this about us. I love in Matthew chapter 5 when Jesus is teaching in the Sermon on the Mount. And he's showing his disciples, hey, here's an outline of how you should pray. He doesn't start with, okay, I want you to tell me all your needs. He doesn't start with, hey, I want you to give thanks. Here's what he starts with. He starts with, our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. He starts with the character of God. Because he knows this tendency we're all going to have to drift towards that which is negative. But what changes that? It's when we take our focus off of the world and its condition and we set our focus on the character of God. So to unpack Psalm 36 this morning, I want to give you four statements of hope. I want to give you four statements of encouragement that hopefully in a world of uncertainty, these are realities that you can know for sure. If you're taking notes this morning, I would encourage you to write these down. All of them come right out of the passage that we just read in Psalm chapter 36. Here's the first statement that we can know for sure this morning. In a world filled with hate, God's love will never let you go. In a world full of hatred, discouragement, frustration. God's love will never let you go. David begins in verse 5 with this powerful phrase, your loving kindness, O Lord, extends to the heavens. Translators get very frustrated with this word loving kindness. And here's why. Because there is no precise equivalent for this word in Hebrew And any English word that we have in our language. We usually use words like loving kindness, mercy, steadfast love, and sometimes loyalty. But the full meaning of this word, loving kindness, cannot be expressed in just one word in the English language. Meaning any English word we choose to represent the Hebrew word loving kindness, we leave some aspect of its meaning out. It's an extremely powerful word. Here's a statement that describes the essence of this word. God's loving kindness 
is that sure love which will not let his people go. Not all our persistent waywardness could ever destroy it. This steady, persistent refusal of God to wash his hands of his wayward people is the essential meaning of the Hebrew word which is translated loving kindness. There's really two ideas to this word loving kindness and both of them are extremely powerful. The first idea is loyal love. The type of love in which God loves his children with. Loyal love and unfailing kindness. You put those two ideas together and you get this principle of loving kindness. So let me give you a couple statements to hang on to with those two ideas. Loyal love, what are we saying? We're saying God's love for his people cannot be destroyed and does not change. That's this reality of loyal love. God's love for his people, for you and I, cannot be destroyed and does not change. That's the first idea in this word. What what an extremely encouraging reality. I don't know how you grew up and what you think about when you think about the love of God, but I want to just clarify this morning. You may be coming out of a week that was awful. You made some bad decisions. You engaged in some stuff maybe you shouldn't have been engaged with. You made some people mad. You got in some arguments. Even if you are coming out of a horrible week, listen, God's love for you does not change. On the flip side, you may be here this morning and you just had an incredible week. You led 250 people to Jesus You went on a short-term mission opportunity. You did all the stuff that you're supposed to do. Listen, God's love for you didn't go up or down either. God's loyal love for us does not go up or down based on our performance. Because it's a love that cannot be destroyed. And it's a love that does not change. Listen to how Paul described it in Romans chapter 8. He says, for I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. It's a love that cannot be destroyed and it's a love that does not change. There is nothing greater, nothing bigger, Nothing stronger or more amazing than the loyal love of God. And so much so that David says, listen, your loving kindness, O Lord, it extends to the heavens. It goes, it reaches where nothing else can reach. It's that big of a love. I was thinking this week, at least in my life, how, how much we fight and strain to receive love from other humans. I mean, there's a lot of stuff we do every week that is trying to get attention from others, that's trying to get praise and adoration from others. And I had this thought. We are often so focused on our desire to be loved by others that we neglect the opportunity we have 
to be loved by God. I don't know where you're living right now. If you're you're working as hard as you can to try to get human love into your life, But we can know with assurance this morning that when it comes to the love of God that will not let us go, one aspect of it is that it is a loyal love that cannot be destroyed and does not change. Here's the second idea in this this idea of loving kindness. Not only loyal love, but unfailing kindness. Loyal love and unfailing kindness. Here's, here's a statement to kind of wrap around. God demonstrates continual mercy to his people. I don't know about you, but I'm in need of a lot of mercy. And it's such a refreshing thing to know that every day when I wake up, the Bible says the mercies of God are new every morning. He loves us in such a way that he demonstrates unfailing kindness. There is unconditional mercy that is lavished on the people of God by our Heavenly Father. Loyal love, unfailing kindness. I hope it encourages you today to know that eternal life and eternal love are found in the same person. His name is Jesus. And he has promised to love us with a love that will not let us go. In a world filled with hate, God loves us and his love will not let us go. Amen? Here's a second statement out of this passage. In a world of broken promises... God always does what he says he will do. In a world of broken promises, God always does what he says he will do. Look at the next part of the passage. It says, your faithfulness reaches to the skies. There are thousands of promises that are found in the scriptures that God has made to his people. And he's never broken or forgotten a single one of those promises. Listen to what Charles Stanley said about the promises of God. God always keeps his promises. This is one thing you can be sure of and the principal support of your faith. If the Lord says he's going to do something, then you can stake your life on the fact that he will do it. I was reading a book this week by a guy named Philip Yancey. He's a Christian author. And he was describing his first visit to Yellowstone National Park to see the geyser that we know as Old Faithful. And he talked about when he first saw the geyser, that there were just tons of tourists all around it, watching every 24 minutes, I think it is, as that geyser goes off. And he described being in one of the diners there at one of the, the, the Old Faithful Inn that they had a timer on the wall that counts down every time the geyser is going to go off. And then there's this large window so everyone in the diner can look out and see Old Faithful going off every time. And he talks about when the clock got down to about a minute. And everyone in the room kind of started to get up and to move towards the window, excited to see Old Faithful go off. 
And they begin to count down from 20 to 10 to 9 to 8 to 7. And the geyser goes off and everyone who's in the diner is taking pictures. They're videoing it. They're applauding. They're ooing and aahing. And Philip Yancey said, I look back and I saw the bussers, the waiters, and the waitresses. And they weren't even looking out the window to see this unbelievable moment of the geyser going off. And he said this. He said, Old faithful, grown entirely too familiar, had lost its power to impress. As you think about the faithfulness of God, Have you become so familiar with the incredible faithfulness of our Heavenly Father that you're not impressed with it anymore? I mean, I don't know about you, but I didn't wake up this morning, take a breath, and say, Lord, thank you for giving me breath today. I didn't walk out to my car and say, Lord, I'm so grateful the sun came up again. My initial reaction when I woke up was not, Lord, you've given me life again. Thank you for your faithfulness. I didn't go there. Marcus, Mark Buchanan said this, In both creation and relationships, faithfulness is the most amazing yet least captivating trait. It is one quality in the cosmos in God, in others, that we can't live without, but that we don't much live with, either mindful of it or thankful for it. When was the last time that you were just overwhelmed by the faithfulness of God? That you put your cell phone down, You just got quiet before the Lord and you just said, Lord, thank you for your faithfulness. Before this week, it had been a little bit for me since I'd done that. But I tell you what I have done a lot in the past couple weeks. I've spent a lot of emotion and energy thinking about broken promises that that people have said they would do something in my life, but they didn't do it. And I had this thought and I want to challenge you with it. Beware of being so distracted with the broken promises of others that you forget the faithfulness of a God who always keeps his word. We need to guard that. Beware of being so distracted with the broken promises of others that you forget the faithfulness of a God who always keeps his word. The psalmist, in describing the faithfulness of God, he says it reaches to the skies. It goes on and on and on. If we were to walk outside after service and I were to say, hey, show me the end of the sky, you couldn't do it. You'd just point that way. And we would see that the sky goes on and on and on. So it is with the faithfulness of God. It goes on and on and on. In a world of broken promises, God always does what he says he will do. Amen? Here's the third statement out of this passage. In a world that celebrates wickedness, 
God's righteousness stands firm. In a world that celebrates sin and darkness and wickedness, the righteousness of God stands firm. Look at verse 6. Your righteousness is like the mountains of God. Has there ever been somebody in your life and at one point in your journey you were close with them? Maybe you were in high school or in college and you got to know that person pretty well. And then something happened and you guys were separated. Maybe you got a job or they moved or something happened. And then later on in your life, you reconnected with them. And once you begin to spend time with them, you realized that they had really, really changed. What they valued before, they don't value anymore. What they were passionate about before, they're not passionate about anymore. Some of the things that you thought were going to happen in their life never really played out. Have you ever known someone like that? I had someone in my life that I would say, when I was in school, was a best friend to me. And then we were separated because of jobs. And then we reconnected. And when I reconnected with this person, it was like they were a totally different person altogether. They weren't professing Christ anymore. They weren't passionate about the same things they were passionate about. Over the course of time, who they were in the beginning... And who they were in the present had changed. And I say all that to say this. That is not the case with our God. The Bible says he is righteous. That word righteous means blameless. It means right conduct and right action. That's who God is today. That's who he has always been, and that's who he will always be. The righteousness of God is like a mountain. It's immovable. It will not change. And though the world celebrates one form of sin this year and another form of sin next year, God continues to be righteous and to celebrate righteousness and to draw us in such a way that he conforms us to mirror the righteousness of his son. In a world that celebrates wickedness, God's righteousness stands firm. Amen? Here's the last statement. In a world that appears to be out of control, God is completely in control. In a world that appears to be out of control, our God is completely in control. Look at the next part of verse 6. Your judgments are like a great deep, O Lord. You preserve man and beast. David compares the judgments of God to an inexhaustible, And mysterious ocean. He says the judgments of God are deep like the ocean. You can't understand it. You can't exhaust it. Paul writes about it in Romans 11. Here's what he says. Oh, how great are God's riches in wisdom and knowledge. How impossible it is for us to understand his decisions and his ways. For who can know the Lord's thoughts? 
Who can know enough to give him advice? And who has given him so much that he needs to pay it back? For everything comes from him and exists by his power and is intended for his glory. All glory to him forever. Amen. Here's what we need to know about this. There's some aspects of God we're never going to understand this side of heaven. It's inexhaustible. It's mysterious. But we can know for sure today that God is on the throne. He is in control. He's not stressed. He's not panicked. He's not worried. He's in full control today. And because of all the other things we know about God, his loving kindness, his faithfulness, his righteousness, as his people, even though there are things we don't understand, we can still trust him because his will is not only good, his will is best. In a world filled with hate, God loves us in such a way that he'll never let us go. In a world of broken promises, God always does what he says he will do. In a world that celebrates wickedness, God's righteousness stands firm like a mountain. And in a world that appears to be out of control, God is completely in control. I want to ask you a question and kind of help us apply this. And then we're going to have a time to respond today. Let me ask you this question. What happens when who God is shapes my life more than anything else? I don't know what the dominant influence in your life is today. I really don't. It could be your spouse. It could be your job. It could be a hobby or a passion. But what happens when who God is, his character is the dominant thing that shapes your life. Well, the scripture goes on in verses 7, 8, and 9 to tell us the results of a life that is shaped by the character of God. And here's the first result. I treasure my relationship with him. When who he is, is the dominant shaper of my life, the dominant influence in my life, I treasure my relationship with him. Look at verse 7. How precious is your loving kindness, O God. The word precious means value. It means worth. When I understand who he is and the grace that's been given to me, I treasure my relationship with God. We say it at Hope all the time. The more you know him, the more you love him. Do you treasure your relationship with God? And know this, there's a difference between acknowledging your relationship with God and treasuring your relationship with God. I believe when the primary shaper of my life is who God is, you and I will treasure our love relationship with him. Here's the second result. I find hope and refuge in him. Not only do I treasure my relationship with him, I find hope and refuge in him. Look at the next part of verse 7. And the children of men take refuge 
in the shadow of your way. We run to him. He's our refuge. He's our shelter. He's our protection. Look at the way the Bible communicates it in Psalm 91. Those who live in the shelter of the Most High will find rest in the shadow of the Almighty. This I declare about the Lord. He alone is my refuge, my place of safety. He is my God, and I trust in Him. He will cover you with His feathers. He will shelter you with His wings. His faithful promises are your armor and your protection. I had multiple people come up to, come up to me after the last service and just said, Travis, I'm in a season where thinking about these characteristics of God this morning have reminded me I must run to him. Not to other relationships, not back to sin, not to my job or career. I must find my refuge and hope in God and God alone. That's this principle. When who he is is the primary influence in my life, I find hope and refuge in him. Here's a third result. I experience satisfaction because of him. Look at verse 8. They drink their fill of the abundance of your house, and you give them to drink of the river of your delights. Here's what's interesting. This word delights in verse 8 is the same root word in the Hebrew that we translate Eden in Genesis 2 and 3. Referring to the Garden of Eden. The place that God established for his people to function the way he designed them to function. Where they would experience abundant life, fulfillment, and satisfaction. He's saying when, when who I am is the primary influencer of what you think about, your attitude, the way you approach life. You're going to experience a delight and satisfaction in me that you could never experience otherwise. It's powerful. Here's a fourth result. When who God is is the primary influence in my life, lastly, I am given life through him. He says in verse 9, For with you is the fountain of life. In your light we see light. I love that the opposite of darkness and death is light and life. And the scripture says in verse 9, when I am focused on the character of God, he pours life into me. I'm exposed to his light and I experience his life. We treasure our relationship with him. We run to him as our hope and refuge. We're satisfied in him and he gives life to his people. I'm gonna share a story with you as we finish. I don't know um, of any clearer time that the principle we're talking about this morning has applied to my life than when I was a junior in high school. One of the, the, the foundational pillars in my family was my grandmother. Her name was Edna. And we were very close, and she had diabetes, and she had to have a surgery one day. And she had had some blood clots in her legs and in her heart. And they had even talked about, shared with me that she may not make it through the surgery. And at that stage in my life, that was a really, really heavy circumstance. You may hear that and think, not really a big deal. Well, whatever would be a big deal for you, 
put that in that category because that's what it was for me. And I remember driving to school on that Friday, the day of her surgery, and I was crying, I was emotional, I was frustrated. I was thinking, why God? Why now? Why me? Why my family? Why do we have to go through this? And just in my heart, I was overwhelmed by the condition of my world. And a song came on the radio. It's a song by Third Day called Your Love, O Lord. We sang it just a few minutes ago. And the song said, Your Love, O Lord, reaches to the heavens. Your faithfulness stretches to the skies. Your righteousness, it's like the mountains. And your justice flows like the ocean tide. So I will lift my voice to worship you, my king, and I will find my strength in the shadow of your wing. And right there in that moment, I can't explain it, but the peace of God came over me. And I went from being overwhelmed by the circumstances of the world to being overwhelmed by the love, faithfulness, righteousness, and justice of God. And I couldn't say it this way then, but here's really what I learned in that moment. Either circumstances will shape my view of God or God will shape the way I view my circumstances. And I made a decision in that moment that I was going to view my circumstances based off who He is, not based off what's going on around me. I don't know... I don't know what your thing is right now. I don't know what's got you overwhelmed. But my prayer for you this week and this morning is that you would move away from being overwhelmed by the circumstances and conditions of the world and move to a place of being overwhelmed by the character, the greatness, the glory, the love, faithfulness, righteousness, and justice of our Heavenly Father. A.W. Tozer said this, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. When you leave the campus in a few moments, I hope you have some encouraging, hopeful, principle realities that you're wrestling through today as it relates to who God is. And his love that will never let you go. His promises that he always comes through on. His righteousness that does not move. And the fact that he is in control.